wherever the true gospel is proclaimed. And that's really the centerpiece for me, hmm. is the proclamation the true gospel. And if I'm not hearing that, I'm not interested. And it doesn't matter, you know, how good your band is or how good your liturgy is. Amen. If I'm not hearing that, it doesn't matter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's episode with Plain Truth, a Holy Spirited podcast. Three guests, three different hosts of this podcast that I listen to regularly, love the podcast for a lot of theological and Methodist reasons. But what is even more impressive than that is this group's faith. I think what you'll find when you listen to this podcast is that these three individuals have done a tremendous job of following Jesus with their heart and their mind. I I love that about them. Three of the smartest people I know. We talk about what that means, what it means to be an intellectual and somebody who's following Jesus. We talk about what it means to raise your family to follow Jesus. And I just love what they have to say. And if you love what they have to say, the best compliment you can give us, share the podcast with somebody. Let somebody know. Leave us a rating and review so other people can find us. We appreciate you and look forward to uh, getting your feedback on this week's episode. Without any further ado, here is Maggie, Scott, and David, the crew of A Plain Truth Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Plain Truth, A Holy Spirited Podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer and I am here with Scott Kisker and David Watson and our special guest today, Tony Miltenberger. Woohoo! Hey, I'm so excited to be on this podcast. You guys are kind of legendary. No. No, you're legendary. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're a legend. You're a legend. No, you're a legend. No, you're a legend. Keep it all right, Scott. okay. We can all be legends. It's okay. It. Yeah. Uh, today I get to be the interviewer, though. Yes. Cool. Today we're doing something a little different. Tony is going to interview us because, in case you didn't know, and if you don't, I don't know why you don't know, Tony Miltenberger has an amazing podcast oh, called you. Restoration. The, Recla- the Reclamation Podcast. Reclamation. I don't know what your church is <laughs> My named. My church's name is Restoration. <laughs> the Reclamation Podcast. Yeah. And so today I thought that I would ask you amazing people some questions about how you reclaim your faith and the discipline and what that looks like in your families and just see wherever God takes us. I know you're excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm thinking of is naming my church Reclamation Church and starting a podcast called Restoration. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. So. Uh, so first, why don't you guys kind of help me. How, how did the three of you, very, uh, I'll say somewhat random people, Managed to get a podcast going together. How, how did your, where does the, the Genesis story begin with this? So Scott and I have worked at United together for a number of years. How many years have you Seven. been here? Seven years. Seven Long. years. It only feels like 10. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, at, at one point, you know, I heard, I was just kind of paying attention to what folks like Robert Barron and Tim Keller were doing and stuff like that. And I thought, you know. Major the- theologians. In yeah, the field. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and not just theologians, but like apologists mm. for the faith. People who Define were that word offering for me, uh, someone who offers a, a defense of the faith. Okay. Um, in the face of Christianity's cultured despisers. Yeah. Okay. And I saw what these, these folks were doing and I thought, you know, I, I just think we could do something Methodist that 
is like this, something Wesleyan that is like this. Now, is it going to have the reach of Robert Barron or Tim Keller? Well, probably not. But but Methodists need um, theological discourse and, and apologetic discourse as much as anyone else. And so I asked Scott, I'm like, hey, you want to do a podcast with me? And he, he's like, okay. So What's a podcast? What's a podcast, yeah. And I'm like, it's sort of like radio, but you don't have to tune a dial. It's not, and it's, it's most of the time it's not live. Yeah, right, right. So um, we recorded the first episode uh, in my basement, and my dog was barking, and you could hear a toilet flushing in the background. And so, it was sort of bad. It, it sounds was, amazing. Yeah. And so that we, should be premium archives. Content. Yeah, we, we agreed together that we would not publish that episode. And then we decided we were going to record here in the studio at United Theological Seminary, where we both work. And Maggie had asked if she could do like some technical work for us. Yeah, mm, I, right? I asked. Really what I wanted to do was produce. So someone told me that they were going to do a podcast, and I got really excited. I thought, oh, this is awesome. Um, and the first thought I had was five people will understand what they're talking about, but it could be really great. And I said, I sort of... Um, now, how did you know them? Oh, well, I knew Scott first because Scott was a a history and doctrine professor at Wesley Theological Seminary, which is where my husband got his MDiv. That's right, because you're married to a pastor. I am married to a pastor. And um, we lived on campus at the seminary while my husband was in seminary for all four years. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like, just side note, like, the third year, he was like, I don't know, it might take an extra two years. And I looked at him and I was like, it will not. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we're clear. It will not uh, take an extra mm-hmm. two years. I feel like every husband's had that talk. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap it up. That's what they say. They say your, your, your PhD t- dissertation, how, how long it takes you to finish your PhD dissertation is directly proportional. Inversely yeah. related to the niceness of your spouse. That's right. <laughs> Fortunately. So marry someone not nice. I'm not that nice. Get yeah. a PhD. So, um, so that's how we met Scott, and we were friends with his whole family. Of course. Yeah. And, um, and then they moved to Ohio, and we were still in the Virginia Conference, and we ultimately ended up moving from the Virginia Conference to the Ohio Conference, the West Ohio Conference. And um, there are some, yeah. And you're thrilled with it. I, I am. <laughs> I know. And so I, then you came in as a producer. Yeah, so I wanted to come in and just sort of be like, here's, here's some things that you could do to... Um, you know, be more accessible to people and have a wider reach. And then Scott was like, you should just be on the podcast. And I was like, oh, I think that's a terrible idea. And I was very resistant, actually. And then finally I was like, you know, I should really talk to my husband because we're really busy and da 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 And I was completely convinced that my husband would say, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And within, like, I said, they're doing this thing and they think I should be on it. And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, I didn't even ask the question, and I was like, what? Of course, I knew she was asking, and I am in a band meeting with her. (laughs) Yeah. So. So I have have lots of material. As it turns out, I mean, uh, people always say to me, I really like your podcast, but if Maggie wasn't on it, you guys would just be a total disaster. And and I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, I I always appreciate those compliments, but I, I... 
I like to think that I could have just helped from behind the scenes, and that would have been good, too. But I love been, being on the podcast. It would have been a podcast of two professors arguing with one another about Wesley every two weeks, which sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Well, not that Negative. much. Negative. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of think it's negative. I know you do. But every time you guys start talking about the quadrilateral, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? We could have spent the first year of the podcast on the quadrilateral. <laughs> and the five people that listened would have really enjoyed yeah, right. it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you guys, obviously, you, you both work at the seminary. Maggie, what do you do for uh, when you're not podcasting? Tell us a little bit about that. And then I'd love to hear, too, about your guys' families, collectively. I, um, what do I do when I'm not podcasting? I'm, you homeschool your children. I, yeah. You are a pastor's wife. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. Or as some people might... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, no. Yeah, I do. I, 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 I work in my home. Um, so I, home, I do homeschool my kids. And uh, I write. And I will... Uh, I help out at Spirit and Truth, which is the ministry that this podcast is associated with. Yeah, Matt Reynolds was just on the podcast. That's right. And what else do I do? I I pray with people. I people call me up and they say, "Hey, you're let's in t-. ministry." Yeah, I am. I, that's right. I am in ministry. You do a lot that you don't technically get paid for, right. including that's, this podcast. Yes, <laughs> accurate. And if you kind listeners would like to change that, I uh, accept. I have Venmo. I have PayPal. <laughs> Just pay me. You don't have to pay them. Anyway, uh, Scott, what do you do uh, when you're not podcasting? Because you have multiple royals. Not just here at, at the seminary, but then also you pastor a church too, as well. I do. I pastor a, a church in rural Ohio, McKendry United Methodist Church, outside of New Carlisle. Uh, and I started doing that in September, and I, they're terrific. Mm. They've been very kind to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I'm not doing this or teaching classes or administrating my way out of a paper bag, otherwise known as United Theological Seminary, <laughs> I'm writing sermons and trying to uh, help a community be even more like Jesus than they already are. And I have a family, so I take care of my children, three of whom are still at home, two of whom are gone. Scott has a hundred children, but not, <laughs> but not, not departed. Fortunately, they're just out of the house. So right. one's in, so in college, and one's yeah. in Cuba. And Maggie, how many home. kids do you have? I have three sons. Three sons, mm-hmm. and uh, all of them are still home. Do, 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 well, do, 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 do. I was thinking the same song. Oh my That's an old uh, television show. Yeah. Yeah. People that yeah. don't know that. For those of you who weren't born in 1900, my three sons. <laughs> I saw it once on the old Nickelodeon yeah. channel. Right, black and white. It's probably yeah. still on MeTV right now or something. Um, my oldest is 19, and he is in his second year of college, and he's actually officially moving out in January. And that's okay with me. <laughs> As a tear. <laughs> it's good. I know. And I'm actually super proud of him. And, you know, it is. It's just, it's just nice to have your buddy around. Although I think he's more like, like, I'm like, you're my buddy. And he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have my um, 14-year-old son and a 9-year-old son. And they're, they're awesome. And those are the two that you homeschool. Yeah. 
Yeah, freshman and third grader. Wow. Yeah. David, what about you? You uh, dean of the seminary here, and then. Yes. Uh, so what? What is a what's a dean do? And then it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm dying to know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Uh, the former dean told me this story. Okay, so there was this guy who worked for the circus. His name was Charlie. Okay, and Charlie's job was. He went behind the elephants at the circus and swept up all the uh, elephant poop. Okay, Charlie did this for 25 years. And finally, someone came up to him and he said, they said, Charlie, you've been sweeping up elephant poop for 25 years. Why don't you find another job? Why don't you do something else? And Charlie looked at him and says, what? And leave show business? (laughs) (laughs) That's like being a dean. Hmm. Okay. Uh... Basically, I have administrative oversight of all the academic programs of the school. Um, I deal with student problems. I oversee the faculty. I do employee evaluations. I have associate deans like Scott and Vivian Johnson who help me out a great deal. Yikes. It's <laughs> like a whole different podcast. Yeah, right. The HR podcast. And, and um, I would say that, you know, the, the hardest part of any any job like this is personnel management yeah. and the rest of it. I've got a great administrative assistant, Robbie Collins, who keeps me on the straight and narrow most of the time. And my life would essentially fall apart if it were not for her. Yeah, we so, all know that's true. Yeah. So, and then you've got a couple kids at home. Um, I do. I, I have Luke, who is 17 and a senior at Dominion Academy of Dayton mm. and is uh, planning to attend Asbury University next year. And Woo-hoo. he uh, is a basketball player, and we're in basketball season right now. So It's the best season. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's most of my spare time of the evening now is going to basketball games. Then we have Sean, who is um, 13 now, hard to believe. And Sean uh, has Down syndrome. Um, He goes to a school called the Nicholas School in Piqua, and he mostly just likes to spend time getting into trouble and breaking stuff. So he's he's has nothing to do with Down syndrome. That's just his personality. So, um, oh, that sounds wonderful. I wonder, you know, sometimes like if his baptism didn't take or something because he just loves to get into trouble. The, the podcast that you guys did on special needs ministry was incredible. That was one of my favorites. It's, it was an incredible, and Sean's uh, testimony in that is huge. So oh, was Sean on that podcast? That. No, <laughs> but via, via David. That would it seems like it would have been. David, I would remember that. I think. And the. Uh, uh, um, the leader at, at Stillwater where yeah. you go to church. Yeah, uh, so, yeah Sue Hay. Sue, yeah. And, and that's then, probably something also that David and I bonded over when I first came to work here because my youngest, who's 12, which is about the same age as Sean, also has special needs. Oh, so. yeah. And my wife, Harriet, spends uh, a lot of time, uh, especially with Sean. Hmm. Um, he just requires a lot of care. And then we also have a spiritual daughter, Sierra, who lives with us as well. And she's on the staff of Stillwater Church. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you guys are all in full-time ministry. You've got multiple facets of your life. You're doing all the things all the time. One of the questions that I love to ask people, um, and I'd be especially interested to hear your guys' answer. Maggie, we'll start with you. How do you carve out time to hear from God? 
How do you carve out time to hear from God? I think you've got the way, um, it's just a non-negotiable. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I think that I'm a person who, for a long time, I used to approach it from the standpoint of, well, let me make a list of everything that I have to do and then see where the best place to fit that in is. That is the wrong way to do that. (laughs) Um, What you have to do is say, well, the first thing I need to do is spend time with God, and then we'll see what else I have time for. So let's get super practical. What does that look like in your day? In my day, what that looks like is, is I wake up. And I, you know, get myself together for the day, like a shower, whatever, whatever. Um, I homeschool my kids and I get them started in their school day. And the first uh, half hour to 40 minutes of their day every day is spent in reading. And while they read, I pray. So it's not perfectly uninterrupted time. And I think there are certain, there are just certain things I've had to be flexible about. So if I... I might get 20 minutes of uninterrupted prayer in, and then, you know, a nine-year-old comes knocking on the door to be like, so what time is it? How many minutes have passed? Can I have chocolate milk? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've learned that if I can just be patient about that, like if if I can give up the notion of having my time in uninterrupted, you know, then I find that um, it's very easy to go right back into it. So I deal with that. And then I go right back into it. And I do that every morning now there. And then I pray, um, very deeply in other moments of the day, but I don't know that every single person needs to have a a prayer life like that. I, but I know that me personally, that I am called to be in, um, contemplative prayer, um, a lot in my life. And so I do that morning prayer almost every single day. And then it is not uncommon for me to spend, um, at least an hour in prayer at night. Hmm. So, because most of my work is talking like is listening to God talk to me about things, people, myself, the Bible, whatever. Now, obviously you didn't start I mean, that wasn't like, that's not been your whole Christian. Not at all. Right. (laughs) How long have you been praying with God an hour at night? Um, for a few years at this point, I would say several years. Yeah. Like I, I read, I read, um, the interior castle by Teresa of Avila. I think when I was like, I'm 41 now that maybe I was 30, hmm. 30 or 31. And that book just changed my life. So great. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes if people are interested in reading it. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a strange little book, but I mean, it's basically about contemplative prayer and how she, um, her journey to doing that. Did you read that while you were at Wesley? No, I read it at, um, well, it was given to me at Wesley and I avoided it. Like, you know how sometimes you like have something, someone gives you something and you're like, you know, I, I can't because something about this is just going to mess me up. Mm-hmm. And so I avoided it, but it was given to me Rob's last year of seminary. And then I read it in his first appointment, which was just the next year. And it did mess me up. (laughs) Thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Not all all mess ups are bad. Yeah. No, that's great. Scott, what about you? How do you carve time out to hear from God? Obviously there's multiple facets (laughs) of your brain that are working in different. I mean, it almost has to feel a little, uh, like you live in two different worlds most days, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm uh, I have to I I I can't talk, so uh, 
I am kind of I, I like order. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. David's like, yes, you do. Yeah. So probably what makes you a good administrator. It, it yeah. probably helps. It, it, you know, all of our vices are also can be used for good things. You know, they, they have the, the tendencies. But in any case, I so I um, I have like Maggie said things that are just set in my life, uh, and that if if those fall apart, then I start to fall apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. First thing in the morning, Roberta and I pray together before we get out of bed. We just... So you guys wake up at the same time then? Well, no. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> Roberta gets up at like five and does her devotions <clears throat> and exercise and stuff. And then at like six, she comes back to bed and we pray together. And then I get up at 630 uh, and start my... Get the kids up and, you know, start breakfast, which is at seven. And then... Can you tell I like order? Anyway, so kids have to be at breakfast at 7. We have breakfast. We have family devotions at breakfast. What do, what do you guys do for that? I, there are probably a lot of people listening who, who love the idea of family devotions, but the yeah. I thought of installing them seems like a task that's insurmountable. Yeah. It is helpful because I have teenagers now that we installed this a long time ago, and uh-huh. so they don't question it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they assume yeah. this is – so those of you who have young kids, this do is the now. time to do it. But um, So the way our devotion time works – is uh, we have general chit-chat about what's going on in school that day, and, and then I r- read scripture. Uh, and right now, what we've shifted to is, I used to just go through books of the Bible, and right now we are reading the same passage every day, which happens to be the sermon text for the coming week. Because <laughs> <laughs> so John that way, the Baptist, is, it, uh-huh. is that what it is? Uh, this week I'm, I'm preaching on Isaiah 11. Oh, Isaiah mm. 11. But... Um, in any case, so we're reading Isaiah, which I think is good. It's good for me. It gets the text in my head for the rest of the day. And, you know, kids ask questions and stuff. Uh, and then we go around. Each person prays. And then I have a particular blessing for each kid that I have said over them since they were in utero. Mm. And I then walk around the table, lay my hand on their head, and I pray for each one of them this particular prayer. And for the kids who are not home, I just lay my hand on the back of their chair and pray for them. Uh, And then we say the Lord's Prayer, and we sing Jesus loves everybody, the names of the people, and then dismissed. (laughs) How, How long does that take you? Not that long. You know, maybe most 10 minutes. Oh, wow. The whole thing. Yeah. I would think, yeah. Read scripture. I mean, it depends how long people pray for, but, you know. You're right. It's, my it's, teenager's like. It's 7, 10 in the morning. I pray that I get a good day at school. Right. Amen. You know, <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever. And I don't, I don't worry. You know, we're not, we're not here to critique people's prayers. Um, so, and also, I mean, Roberta, and all, my prayer is not like super lengthy, yeah. whatever. You know, we're, we're laying the concerns of the day and the concerns of our children at the feet of Jesus. That's all that's about. Mm. When I get to school and I try to get here about 8.30 most days, if I am working from somewhere else, I'll, I'll do it there, which might be a coffee house or whatever. But I will spend time uh, journaling and then the practice that I, I just let God minister to me however he wants to minister to me. And that involves looking, sitting there in silence. Mm-hmm. And God, letting God's light hit my mind and my heart and my guts and 
whatever he wants to do, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't always enjoy that. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, people think that, you know, spending time with Jesus is always like some happy thing, but it's not in my experience necessarily that sometimes. So just so I get a picture, when, when God is ministering to you in this time of, of stillness, mm-hmm. are you, and you're at a coffee house or even at your desk here at United, you're basically just sitting there with your eyes closed? Yep. That's it. All right. Yep. Um, how, how do you know it's God and not like an acid from the coffee you're drinking? Um, those are just very different things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but you know what? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think yeah. I think a lot of people I, really wrestle I, with, I, and this is open to anybody who wants to answer. Like, yeah. how, how do you know it's a nudge from God? And not well, and it's not a nudge. I don't. I see. I have you another call friend it a who punch in the gut. Uh, it can be a punch in the gut. Um, yeah, I've experienced. I have experienced things that. Yeah, but uh, how do you know it's from God? Can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that I. I would say that in the beginning, you don't always know. Like it's. It's. It. This is That's a relationship. True. Yeah. So in the beginning, if you're really cultivating. Um, a sort of an encounter with God there. I, in my experience, there are different things that happen. Um, well, first of all, like there will be, uh, maybe images that come to your mind or, or thoughts that you have. And, and you have to know the shepherd's voice really well Hmm. through scripture. Um, and then you align those things with that. And the other thing I would say is that um, you just get to know it after a while. I, I, it it sounds like a cliche to sort of say, well, you know. You just know when you know. But you do. You and just I, do. I started this practice probably a decade ago. And it bears fruit, too. Yeah. Hey, and well, what's fruit again? Explain that for the people that may not know. Uh, peace, joy, charity, forbearance. Like the, give yeah, the fruit. From, the, from Scripture. Yeah, fruit of the Spirit. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's like kind of where I was like, going. Like, yeah. yes, it, it, will, it will bear that fruit oh, out joy, in you. peace, patience. David, how, how, do you, how do you know it's God's voice, and, and what do you do for your uh, time to hear from God? Because I, I feel like deans carry a lot of stress. I've known uh, you. I'm yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it sounds like a stressful job. It has its moments. Um, so... I mean, my week tends to have, unless I'm traveling a whole lot, and that's that's one of the challenges for me is is staying on, staying in that rhythm in the midst of travel. Um, but in an ideal week, um, I will attend chapel here. I'll attend my band meeting where we confess our sins, and I'll attend church on Sunday. Then in the mornings, I always begin the day uh, with a short prayer. If I have actually disciplined myself and structured my day properly, then I will say the daily office at the beginning of the day. What's that for people that don't? So that is um, an Anglican prayer book. Uh, there's an app. If you have an iPhone, you can download the app called My Daily Office. Jim Legrone, mm-hmm. who is married to Jessica Legrone at Asbury Seminary, developed this app. And you just work through it. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes to go through the daily office in the morning. And it, it's a good way uh, to begin your day in prayer. Every evening, no matter what, I finish my day by reading the Bible. And that's kind of my, that's the, that is the weekly rhythm that I try to maintain. Now, uh, do you have um, do you have any rhythms with your kids similar to Scott's? 
mean, I don't know many families that do. I certainly don't. Uh, no, no. You know, we don't. pray together at night before I put them in bed, but um, and pray over them at that point in time. I mean, my with my teenage kid, I hardly ever see him yeah. at this point, especially or during he, basketball season. Yeah, especially during basketball season, he's gone all the time. Um, we have definitely made it a point, though, to raise our kids up in the faith as best we can. Well, I mean, um, you've done an incredible job. I happen to know taking. Luke all over the world yeah. to experience God in those kind of those vast ways. Yeah, he's a cool kid, and he does have. And have actually, a, a Scott's really daughter travels with him quite a bit too, right? I mean, they've been Susanna. to Cuba together. She yeah. travels anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he's experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in his life in some really tangible ways, both in Cuba and at. I took him to Voice of the Apostles one time, which is a conference connected with Evangelist Randy Clark. And uh, he really likes that. He's actually going to come to the Holy Spirit Seminar at United tomorrow. Oh, great. Um, of his own free will, he wants to come. And that's, so, that's miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing is as orderly and disciplined as what's going on in the <laughs> <laughs> household. Yeah. Well, we all got to figure it out our own I way. I my Von Trapp whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we could be assured, though, Scott is orderly and disciplined, not much else there is, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I say that with all the love and affection. Like, I love being in that. It reminds me of how I grew well, up. It's chaos at our I love it it's so chaos. much. Yeah. Now, Maggie, how, how does uh, your family have any uh, family routines for, for keeping the faith? We do. I mean, we definitely, like, you know, my youngers will, um, we pray together every morning and we'll read Bible, Scripture together. My oldest is, you, you know... Since he's officially an adult, we sort of... She said with air quotes. Yes, I I did. Um, He sort of decides more his own engagement with that stuff. But um, we have family dinner once a week, uh, which sounds like we should be able to manage more than that. But... I've just given up on, well, on this trying. This is why we switched to breakfast. Yeah. Dinner was impossible. It just mm. it does they, seem. When they, it was the year they scheduled my daughter's lacrosse practice from 5 to 7 in the evening. What the heck, oh, man? Right. <laughs> Basketball for us is the same way. What? Yeah. Football, same way. So I, I think mostly it's just like um, church life, just between Rob's meetings and then things that I end up doing. And we just figured, okay, we've just got to find a different way of angering ourselves. But we do a fam- a big family dinner on um, Saturday nights usually, and we will pray um, a version of the Sabbath prayer. So like we light candles, we have a big meal, we break bread, and then um, each member of the family will read a part of a liturgy and then Rob blesses the kids and and um, yeah that's what we do and we have a good time and you know I want to say like these um, practices you know it is important to have zero romantic ideas about them hmm. you just do them your kids are going to like whine and cry and fidget and and read things like I remember the first time we did this, Ian was a little bit older and he was maybe nine or 10. And I swear he made it his life's mission to say nothing with any vocal inflection. He was like, thank you, Jesus. We take this bread, blah, blah. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, like, I don't like this. I don't like that you're making me do it. Mm -hmm. And you just can't take it personally. All right. You just got to be like, whatevs. Jesus yeah. is still here. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is right. what we do. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't really matter whether you like it or not. It's right. what we do. But now he's 19 and it's not an issue at all. And, um, and yeah. He's I, I think it is important to note that we, 
our job is to raise our child, not to negotiate. Exactly. Right, right. right. Like, we're not friends. I mean, I'm glad that we like each other, but I've got a job to do here. Yeah. Yeah. So, now I've listened to every episode of your podcast. Wow. Yeah. You're like probably the only, only one, <laughs> except me. I don't even think Scott and Maggie have listened to every. Oh, I Maggie mean, has for I sure. I have listened. She's to at least started it. Ninety-nine percent of them. Told you. And, and you three happen to be. Uh, you are very, very intelligent, right? And and I know you guys might dispute that, or you guys might dispute that about each other. Some, some uh, people might dispute. That. Yeah. yeah, I think we could just ask any of the people who are immediately close to us. And <laughs> So, but but you guys are all thinkers. I think that's a fair statement, okay. whether sure. you agree yeah. or not. Okay. Um, how do you uh, how do you not let thinking get in the way of uh, how you experience the relationship with God? Because I I know a lot of people who once they get into Scripture, mm. they start overthinking a lot of things, and um, and you guys are all academic and very. At least very well versed. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you not let thinking get in the way of, of how you experience scripture reading and just your faith in general? Because you guys all work in the church in some way, shape, or form. Well, for me, it was thinking really, really hard about these things that led me into such a deep appreciation of the Orthodox faith of the church. All right. Tell me a little bit more about that. you got to unpack it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I, I think most people don't know what the Orthodox faith of the yeah. church is. Yeah. So think of the Apostles' Creed. Okay. Okay. Or the Nicene Creed. You know, one of these great creeds of the church that expresses in a brief form what our core proclamation as Christians is. Okay. Yeah, the foundation of it. Yeah. What the foundation. we believe. Right. The Holy Trinity, that Christ was fully God, that Christ is fully human, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, and Born we, of a virgin. we believe in the church, you know. Yeah. Suffered in a bunch of spots. And, um, you know, in my seminary experience, I went to Perkins, I had a, I, I, had a, I got a great education, you know, in seminary, um, but not all of my teachers were positively disposed towards sort of the historic Orthodox faith. All right, say that again. They, they weren't all uh, they weren't all open to it, they, the Orthodox faith. Yeah, or didn't. They negotiated They didn't believe it? it? They Maybe, yeah. Right. I mean, there, there I was mean some, so, some did, some didn't. But, you know, I, I came sort of, I got to be, developed a mentoring really. I was being mentored in a way, just in a, in a personal and spiritual and intellectual way by Billy Abraham when I was at Perkins. And Billy is um, just an amazing thinker. Mm. And just the sheer uh, power of his arguments really got me rethinking a lot of things I was questioning. And I just began to be fascinated with the faith that the church had proclaimed from very early on, from, you know, the apostolic witness mm. that's preserved for us in scripture and in the church's creedal tradition. And so I can't for me like coming to a really robust experience of Christian faith was in large part an intellectual exercise. Now as I got older and especially as I entered into the charismatic movement, 
then I got more of the experiential component of it, which which is frankly more important for most people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my wife is gets terribly bored with theological discussions and all the things we, you know, when we have dinner guests and talk about theology, I think that So she's what you're just, saying is your wife gets terribly bored with about 90% of your life? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm just, but, I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. But, you know, no. things like, but, but yeah, she's, she but she, you know, she's, she's long suffering in that regard. And, but, but when it comes to worship and experiencing God and, and, um, uh, having a profound sense of the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, she is very, very interested in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So do you listen to a sermon on Sunday morning and be like, ooh, that's wrong. Ooh, that's wrong. I do, and I'm giving it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, where I go to church, my preacher is is theologically very solid. Oh, good. And so there are, there are things from time to time I could nitpick with, but I, I trust him theologically. And so, so you basically try to let a lot of that go when you're in times of worship. Yeah. Okay, you got to turn it on, turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Maggie, what about you? How do you not overthink your faith? And what's it like? This would be a, a great question. What's it like to have your husband be your primary preacher? Yeah, when we first got married... I knew he was called to ministry, and I am not kidding. Um, my prayer was, dear Jesus, don't let him be a terrible preacher, because I cannot handle that. You know me, and you know that I can't handle that. Roberta had to hear me preach before she yeah. would agree to marry me. You know, I mean... Is that a true story? Yeah. I didn't know it until after the fact, but that was like, she's like, I got to hear him preach before I yeah. say yes to it. Because oh, like, what if, what if they're terrible? And then you're just like, yeah. I got to listen to this bad sermons the for the rest of my rest life. Of my life. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, I, how do I not overthink? Well, I think that I, you know, I think the experiential part is, is real. Um, and for me, it wasn't so much that I, I think that I ever struggled with overthinking as much as I struggled with unifying the experiential and the intellectual. So I had a very strong intellectual um, sort of foundation and upbringing, um, lots of reading and thinking and debate team and all kinds of stuff like that. And then I would also have these experiences, which my rational mind was like, uh, what the heck is that? Uh, give me a for example. Um... Well, like when I was, uh, well, like knowing things that you just should not know about. Like a word from God. People, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, the first time I ever had a really profound word of knowledge, it, it scared me. I mean, it really scared me. What was it? I knew that somebody's mother was going to die. Oh. And I mean, I knew that she was fatally ill. And I knew that I was like, and I didn't know what to do with that. I had no idea why would God tell me something like that. And I, I had no context of, of experience for healing prayer at that time. I just looked at that person and I knew with every cell in my body that that is how things were going to turn out. And um, now, now I would say, actually, that that feeling is not even something entirely that you should, um, that I would listen to. I might have that thought and I would be like, well, we'll see. Because... 
the Lord is still in control. Like, even though I might feel certainty, that does not represent a holistic perspective of reality. Yeah, that your just, feelings don't control God. That is right. Like, your feelings of certainty about a particular issue are only your feelings. That is it. And and they might legitimately represent um, insight into something, but that even that insight is not everything. Anyway, so I would have feelings like that, and then I would... I would just, like, my Aristotelian sort of upbringing reading mind would just be like, you can't do that. That's not how this works. So I think, how did I get them to go together? I, the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a, when I let the Holy Spirit be in charge, you know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the law is written on your heart. Hmm. And there's something to that. There's there's something to mystical insight and revelation when you um, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you read the Word, and it's different. You know, reading the Word before you're filled with the Holy Spirit is one particular experience, and reading it after is a different particular experience. And um, I, I wish I had better language for that, yeah. but I really don't, because it's really just like you just got to... You just have to be. How did you know that you were full of the Holy Spirit? Well, something really irrational happened. I mean, I was when I was baptized, my pastor stood next to me, and I had my eyes closed, and he said, Maggie, I... How old were you? I was 14. Okay. I baptized you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then um, I had, like, I felt like all time and space stopped, like I stopped hearing things, and so... And then I heard a voice say, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and there was a physical presence in the room that looked like heat waves Mm. flowing in through the floor, going up the walls, floating over people. And then I heard a voice say, this is my presence. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. And I was like, I'm going to close my eyes again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so people who have these experiences who are like, oh, it's so great, wonderful, and they don't experience any sort of uncertainty or terror, I don't identify with that. Mm. I am always like, whoa, I'm going to go sit down in a dark room. <laughs> so. Scott, how do you let your uh, how, how do you separate the two? You're at your kind of your academic mind and your relationship with Jesus, and, and even further to your point about order. How do you how do you create disorder and, and let God be in control of a a fairly person who likes yeah. to be in control? Because I, I mean that resonates. I like control too. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, so my experience uh, of coming to Christ in the first place was, I think different I had I was a very nerdy um, adolescent no I, I know that's shocking <laughs> uh, so I had a lot of sort of intellectual working it out uh, for a couple of years but when I had an experience of Christ it was sort of overwhelming and above intellect mm-hmm. and I I you know I was baptized as an infant so I didn't have Maggie's experience, but I did have the experience of sensing the presence with me as I like went to school, and I I I can remember even in high school having a vision. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the vision? 
Ah, uh, that's a it, uh, the vision. I was lying on my bed in my bedroom, and you're 15. Uh, no, I was older. I I became a Christian at 16, so okay. it must have been I must have been 17 probably. And I had a vision of a crumbling like barn, and it was raining, and. Uh, the foundation was still in place, but the roof was fallen in and the, and the walls were, were beginning to rot. And I knew that this was about, um, this is going to sound really weird, but that it was and this probably, I now think that this probably had some reason for the direction of my life that I've never made a connection to until this very moment, but that the, the roof was the sort of intellectual, Hmm. Hmm. Guard and the roof had collapsed, and so the walls were crumbling, and the walls were sort of ordinary people, and then the foundation was even sort of just the the you know maybe maybe the I don't know what the walls were like maybe it was a class system or something I, I don't remember exactly but like the foundation was the sort of ordinary people's in the pews, which were at this point we're in the eighties sometime was still semi intact, but the message was clear to me even at 17 years old that that's not going to happen like eventually mm. the whole building collapses mm. so that was um a little prophetic moment for the mainline church well, i didn't know it was prophetic at the time uh but yeah now uh, you said something really interesting uh you said you were baptized as an infant and you started uh, you came to christ at 16 yeah um, I think that there are a lot of people who've been baptized as infants and they may not be following Christ yet. Tell me about that moment as a 16-year-old young man and, and how'd you get there? Well, um, so we were churchgoers. I mean, everybody, I mean, this was back in, you know, 70s. Everybody did it, right? Every, yeah, everybody everybody did. was a member of a church, right? So we did go to church and, uh, you know, when I was 13 or 12, I had to be confirmed <laughs> Because that's what you did. Right. And you're Methodist. I was, I was United Methodist. And I did not have the vaguest clue what I was doing when I got confirmed. Mm. But what was good about that was that it was mandatory if you're going to go through confirmation class that you also went to youth group. And there was a guy in my youth group who was leading the youth group who was just a college student at the time named Salim Gavriel. Uh, I was, this is in junior high. I'm still in junior high, and he somehow was able to articulate uh, a relationship with Jesus that was, v- and <clears throat> a relation, uh, also a ability to wrestle with God that was very different from what I saw of church life, even on a Sunday morning, you know, and so it just felt I, real. I just knew there was there was more, hmm. so. There was more than what I got. I had a glimpse behind sort of the, the veil of religion that there was something behind that that was that was more significant because he, he obviously got it mm. and I didn't. And that started a bunch of searching in my life where I was, uh, you know, I went through a phase where I, you know, I thought Jesus was a good teacher, but God was probably not a real thing. Or I thought God was real, but some vague thing. You know, I had all these kind of. You know, you're in junior high. You know, right? You've got all the. You're thoughts, having you know, all, all these, the answers, all right. these. Sure. You know, junior <laughs> sure. high, early high school. I whatever. know everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was obnoxious, <laughs> uh, but and also I'm internally. I, I was. I was a. Uh, I, I think, 
it's safe to say that I was a semi messed up, emo- you know, teenager. Were you angsty? I'm angsty now. (laughs) Yes, I was angsty, and uh, yes, and and probably not on a good path at that point. So, in any case, at some somehow working through all these things, I did finally come to the intellectual conclusion that Jesus was real, and uh, you know, it was. In, it was in June between my sophomore uh, after my sophomore year and uh, but before school was out and I had I I was in my bedroom and nothing was very interesting you know I, there's no like I don't have a good story to tell about <laughs> this but somehow Jesus got real I think you told it yeah, yeah. I so think you told it yeah. I think that's a great story and and th- I mean I think intellect is back to your original question intellect is helpful but it can also be a barrier to a relationship if you if you, you you can use it to put up walls between you and God just like you can use it in a, your relationship with your spouse sure. like if you you can you know argue your way out of x y or z because you have the skills you can do the same thing with God and too many academics do that um and God will let you that's the scary part yeah that is the scary part David, you mentioned uh, the kind of this Holy Spirit movement in your life. And I, I know you took me to Cuba. It was an incredible yeah. experience. Yeah, that was a fun trip. It was a great trip. Scott was there, too, as a matter of yeah. fact. Is that the one where Scott got thrown up in the air? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah, so did David, actually. <laughs> yeah. I got some great I've been video. thrown up in the air yeah. several times. <laughs> right. I don't think I could do that. Mm. They it's don't different. throw women. They don't yeah. throw women. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, Nothing to fear. <clears throat> I don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I love when statements start. Most <laughs> statements start that way. Yeah. But you. I wouldn't say that you're the most uh, charismatically leaning person I've ever met. You're not. You're very uh, firm and stable. I would say. In, in what are you all trying my to say, Tony? With him, yeah. <laughs> he has I'm saying low it. affect. I'm saying it right are now. Are you saying he has mm. no facial expressions? Uh, I'm not saying that at all. He's got lots of expressions. I'm not especially effusive. If, if yes. a lot is yeah. three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's various levels of disgust. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> this, is, this is very helpful to me, actually. <laughs> Gaining some self-awareness on the podcast well, today. So how, does, how does somebody who is, who's, uh, who is not naturally charismatic leaning, um, very intelligent, and very academically minded, merge those together, much like like Maggie's. How, how did you bring your intellect and your charismatic sides together to create a, a, a more well-rounded relationship with, with the Holy Spirit and Jesus? Yeah, um, I think that a lot of times in spirit-filled worship, people who are drawn to that are do tend to be more effusive people, right? And Define effusive, because it's right. not a word that I, people most... Expressive. People, yeah, you know? expressive, yeah. right, like yeah. over the top. They yeah. have a lot of yeah. feelings. Oh, yeah. Lots, so many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot, even for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but I, I think that there are just people who are qu- quieter, you know, and I, I will put my hands up in worship and... And, you know, it took me a while to get there, but I... Like, I, I mean, like, realistically, how long? Yeah. I don't know, three years. Three years? Two or three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was try, I was trying really hard to be like, thank you. Like, like that was a vulnerable statement. And the back was like, don't 
Bam! Hammer! I'm so sorry. I don't feel safe here anymore. <laughs> Hashtag harmed. Maybe not three years. I would say it took a lot time. longer than that. I mean, you think about all the time you were in church growing up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. But we didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I that, that's the point, say. though. The that's culture the point. is not that. Right. Absolutely. Like, you, you completely changed the way that you worship. That's a, that's an incredible... It or, is. Or God did, rather. Yeah. I don't think you did it, but God did it in you. Well, I, I think that a lot of people, especially, like, in the, the so-called Generation Xers, right, <laughs> became fairly disgruntled, disillusioned hmm. with the institutional church. Um, although, and, and part of that is because by the time we came along, so much of the institutional church had already been kind of dismantled. Yeah. Okay, so much theologically had been torn down. To Scott's and, point, the walls have crumbled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. walls, the walls had crumbled. And so... You know, at least for me, a lot of my career has been a process of of trying to rebuild yeah. what's been torn down. But if you're going to do that, you have to have something something besides ideas to hang on to, right? That that there has to be the real presence of the living God in the midst of your worship. And once you encounter that, then you can't go back to not having it, right? It's just it's it's so powerful that it changes you. It changes what you expect out of worship. It, it changes you, changes what you expect out of life. And so, you know, I was saying on a recent podcast, um, you know, God hit me with three things all at once: Aldersgate Renewal Ministries, Global Awakening, and Cuba, like in very close succession to each other, because He He knows how dense I am about <laughs> these things, and it. It just, it helped me to realize that there was an experiential dimension to faith that I just wasn't living in, Mm. you know. And it also helped me to realize that my expectations about God were very low. Wow. I wasn't expecting anything from God. God... At this point in time, you already had a PhD. Well, yeah. 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 He's a dean of a seminary at that point. I just just think that that's just an important time marker. The, The PhD doesn't make it easier. Right. Right. Um, I had intellectual space for it, okay? Because if you're a, a like what I call traditional Orthodox Christian, you have to have intellectual space for the power of God and the miraculous. I mean, everything in the, the historic faith of the church is based on the idea of the power of God and the miraculous. God became incarnate in Jesus Christ and died an atoning death for our sins and after three days rose from the dead. That's Amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? Amazing. Right. Amazing. I haven't heard of anyone that, else doing it. So. If you believe that, <laughs> that says something about the nature of the God we worship and what you, we should expect from God. And I guess I had the intellectual space for it, but my experience didn't match it. Hmm. And I've just had a series of experiences in my life from going to Brazil with Randy Clark to going to Cuba several times to things that have happened here at United that have just changed the way that I experience God. Now, I will say this. There are a lot of people who love, like, charismatic, spirit-filled worship, but can't stand, like, high church liturgical worship or something. And there are a lot of people who are the other way around, mm-hmm. you know, who are kind of Anglo-Catholic types who who sort of turn their nose up at 
um, the kind of charismatic worship that might happen at some place like Aldersgate or Voice of the Apostles or something like that. And I just, I love, I love, oh, I mean, I've worshipped with Christians all over the world with so many different styles of, I've worshipped with Orthodox monks in Egypt and Eastern Rite Christians in Israel and, and, and with Methodists in Cuba. And, you know, I love, I love it all wherever the true gospel is proclaimed. And that's really the centerpiece for me hmm. is the proclamation the true gospel. And if I'm not hearing that, I'm not interested. And it doesn't matter, you know, how good your band is or how good your liturgy is. Amen. If I'm not hearing that, it doesn't matter. So I'm not like in any way, I'm not very picky about worship. I, I love to go to worship. I love high church worship. I love low church worship. I love all the worship in between all those things. <laughs> but but the, 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 the key is, you know, are you proclaiming Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life? I love that. I love that. And I, I say this with all sincerity. Um, I've experienced you in a lot of worship, and I find so much comfort in believing that one of the smartest men in the room, typically you are, whether you want to admit that or not, you're one of the smartest men in the room, also has one of the biggest charismatic hearts. The combining of those two things is a very beautiful thing for for, for people like me who, who have learned from you along the way. So yeah, thank, thank you, you for that. Thank you, Tony. <clears throat> you know what's interesting? I'm... I, I just had a conversation with someone who was asking me, are are there spirit-filled people in the UMC? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and I, I had to sit back and think for a second, like, why they would ask me that question, mm. especially given our history and all of that. And, and I get it. You know, we've done podcasts on this before. Like, how did we end up where we are in the mainline church and cultural influence and all of that. But I was really grateful. I just had to be like, wow, I really am in a context of people where the, um, the seeking for the presence of God and the power of God is, is very dense. There's a very dense population of it right here for whatever reason. It's normal. It is. But I mean, it's nice to be in a place where, Oh, where it is normal. Where, yeah. Yeah. Where seeking more from God is a normal thing for a Christian to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway, I just thought that was Wherever interesting. Wherever we are. I love that. Now, I have one more question for you guys. and then, uh, But before we do that, I know that my listeners are going to want to follow up with you guys and uh, follow you on the interwebs. Mm. Uh, sure. Where can they do that at? And I'm going to ask Maggie because I'm assuming that the other two people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can follow us on Facebook, um, Plain Truth, the Holy Spirited Podcast, uh, the Facebook page, or on Spirit and Truth's Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Holy Spirit Pod or Spirit Truth Life or at Spirit Truth Life. And um, David has a Twitter page. Go ahead, give your hand. At UTS, like United Theological Seminary, DOC, D-O-C. So at UTS, D-O-C. And I'm at Maggie Elmer. So on Twitter. And Scott is, you have to use um, the U.S. Postal Service (laughs) or... Smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Scott's life is complicated enough without social media, and which yeah. we appreciate. Yeah, I, I and actually, you guys are actually doing a live podcast at the Spirit and Truth Conference. It's in true. March. Up. In March, Coming up. yeah, yeah. and uh, Matt was on there from uh, a couple episodes ago, and, yeah. and it was very good. To, I'm excited to hear that for you guys and to to be present for that. So the last question: 
the last question I love to ask all my guests. Okay. Is uh, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice. Oh. And in this case, I'm going to take you guys all back to, since you guys have one similar marker, it, when you guys all finished seminary. <laughs> well, my husband finished seminary. But <laughs> hey, but listen, you, you were yeah. there. But I you was lived, there. You lived there, right? You lived there. Oh, if, I did. If you could go back to when you all finished seminary, hmm. uh, what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Trust Jesus more. That's nice. Yeah, that's what I would tell myself. Oh, that's too. crap. You guys can't use the I same know. piece well, of advice. It's true. It's true. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that came to my yeah. mind was relax. Yeah, trust okay. Jesus more. It's going to be okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, And, and I, you know, that seems so. Okay, you know, here's what I would ago. say trust Jesus with everything. Yeah. Because I think it would have been easy for me to trust Jesus more in the things I already trusted him in, mm. but re- I wasn't trusting him with everything. And I think if I had just been like, you're in charge, like legit, really in charge, I could have saved myself some serious grief. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. I was 24 years old. When you got out of seminary? Yeah. I think I was 25. Oh my gosh, you were 24? Yeah. I wow. mean, there was. Jeez Louise! So I was thirty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was about to be thirty so when I graduated. Much I was fret worried about of my future that I should have just been leaving in the hands of Jesus. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I so can't remember much. how old I was, but well, I was in my mid-twenties. What year did you ago. graduate? Seminary. Oh, I was twenty-seven. Yeah. It was nineteen ninety-six. What? Yeah. I was 26. Six? 1996? 90, 97. Oh. So I was 26. That was the year after I graduated high school. <laughs> it was uh, two years before I graduated high school. <laughs> Maybe I was 25. Maybe I was 25. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time Oh, today. Tony. Yeah, that was fun, Tony. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was. Thank oh, you. Oh, my gosh. I think that's the most we've ever talked about ourselves on a podcast. Let's not do that again. <laughs> I, I'm fully okay with that, yeah. Oh, your people are going to love it. Well, Well, it's been good to visit with you, Tony, and the next time we visit together on a podcast, I want to talk to you about what your passion is, which is discipleship making, disciple making. Yeah. Very true. I'd love to talk about that anytime. Cool. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. Uh, I appreciate each and every one of you for giving me the opportunity to share so much incredible content. Uh, The best thing that you can do to help us is to share. Tell somebody about the podcast, subscribe, leave a rating or review so that way other people can find the podcast just like you. Our mission here is really simple. We want to reclaim good practices for faith and life so that you can grow and connect with Jesus at a whole new level. That is my hope and my prayer for you. I got some exciting guests coming up in the the weeks ahead, so you're not going to want to miss any of it. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Thank you guys so much. Look forward to connecting with you real soon.